Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Become a paid member, get ad free episodes, early access to episodes, and bonus episodes at decodingtv.com. Thanks so much. To everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. These women can assist you in preparation for your bath. Uh, thank you, but I've already bathed. Oh, in the prison? No, in the village. But that was some time ago. What, two, two baths in a week? What, do you want me to catch the flux? I've never related more with a character than when he said, two baths in a week. <laughs> what? <laughs> Anyway, hello everyone and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. Joining me as always, he is Patrick Klepek. Patrick, how's it going today? Good. How are you, David? I am doing well. I've had a really intense week for reasons I can't get into, (laughs) but I will be able to talk about them at some point. Joining me also today, you have seen her work uh, as Jesse Gender on YouTube. Jesse Earl, welcome back to Decoding TV. Hey, hey, glad to be back. You pulled you pulled me out of the ether. <laughs> Always great to have uh, the three of us, uh, you, you know, fighting through the world of television news and reviews and recaps together. It's a pleasure. Uh, so anyway, you can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, and find us across all platforms. We're posting new videos basically every day uh, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on TikTok. At Decoding TV, follow us across all platforms. Today on the podcast, we are going to be uh, discussing a bunch of television news, uh, uh, sorry, TV and movie industry news that's going on, entertainment industry news that's happening right now. And then we are going to be diving into reviews and recaps of the first three episodes of Constellation on Apple TV+, as well as the first two episodes of Shogun on FX Hulu. So uh, that is what we'll be covering right here today on Decoding TV. Before we do that, though, uh, you know, I I do want to do some follow-ups to our conversation last week. You know, Patrick Klepek, big follow-up. True Detective Night Country. Mm. Last week on the podcast, we shared our disappointment with True Detective Night Country and also Nick Pizzolatto's negative response to True Detective Night Country. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out that, uh, Nick Pizzolatto, one of the only few people that were really unhappy with True Detective Night Country, because obviously the ratings were huge. And we learned, according to Variety, True Detective will be renewed for season five with Issa Lopez returning under a new HBO, uh, HBO overall deal. Very exciting. Jesse Earl, did you, uh, indulge in True Detective Night Country by any chance? Sadly, no, because I, I have actually not never watched True Detective, and I did want to watch this season, but then I heard it had connections to season one, and then hearing about all the crap that uh, he was pulling, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to watch season one, so then I don't know if I'll watch season one. Wow. It's, it's, I, I'd be, seriously, I'd be yeah. fascinated to, to, to hear, I feel like you'd be best served watching that show with the furthest possible distance from yes. everything that just happened. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Fair. I think David and I did our our best to like take it on its on its merits um, mm. and and take the show for what it presented itself as, but because 
it's been really so long since I've watched a show get so such weird discourse attached to it yeah. over the yeah. course of it. Like it was in some way because we were often talking about that in connection with the show, and I think we separated that properly. But you might be like, if you're at all interested, like in the lead up to whenever the next season comes out. Watch that separated from all the BS because hopefully you'll be able to just like it or not like it, like just separated from all of the online buzz uh, for good or ill that happened during that during that show's run is probably for the best for for the show and for you. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I just watching it from a distance. I was just like, what is what is happening? This show is either <laughs> the worst thing ever made or one of the best shows of the year. I I could not I could not parse. <laughs> Parse which, which which one of those is it? The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Would I like to? It seems like a lot of people are being stung by bees over there. Do I want to go walk over <laughs> yeah, by those right. bees and get stung? Oh my gosh! Yeah, exactly. There's a weird quantum state that this show is living in that I could not parse. A hundred percent agreed. But hey, uh, you know the the numbers don't lie. People really love this show. Uh, some people really love the show and certainly HBO was very happy with the results. So, uh, I'm actually excited. Issa Lopez, you know, despite the execution of true detective, Night country, Patrick Klepek, I think you and I both agree. Issa Lopez is a a really strong and interesting voice, uh, creative voice and looking forward to see what else you might be able to come up with. Even though I personally was very disappointed with, with that country. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I still remain pretty optimistic, uh, about, I'd be curious what like what changes like does she get the ability to say like hey it's my anthology series now because this is the first right. time since season one I am the captain now yeah yes <laughs> she's yes gonna, point, she's gonna say yeah right like season <laughs> season one connections like off the ship like we're done you know what I mean like I it's it's truly it 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 was unclear throughout all of her commentary about the show how much of how this was retrofitted into an existing franchise was her being a good soldier for HBO and finding Mm. a way to adapt her work, her vision into a way that was like a branding exercise. Like, Hey, you want the budget? You want these actors? You want this marketing? This is how it happens. We attach you to, I mean, that's a very pragmatic approach. If now does she get a little more freedom? Like, I don't think, again, I'm not saying, all the problems of Night Country were the result of like having True Detective attached. It had some core storytelling flaws, but maybe with like a little more confidence, a little more freedom. I am fascinated to see if what kind of direction she takes it in uh, going forward because she's a very strong visionary, and I, I think the the storytelling was the clunkiest part of what happened here. Um, was able to get very evocative performances, evocative imagery. Yeah. So hopefully, given some of those lessons. Maybe and also her first crack at a television show. You know, it's different to write a ninety-minute film than it is to write six hours of television. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I remain I remain hopeful, um, even if a lot of that is me still rooting for tigers are not afraid. And even even <laughs> if you did not like Night Country, go watch that film. It is mm. it is it is astounding. That I can second. That I have seen and did yeah. love that. So Jesse Earl, I'm also going to tell you that if you're afraid of missing all the connections to True Detective season one. <laughs> I would not let that hold you back from watching that country. That, that it might honestly be a was. It yeah, might it, be a benefit to it not is know about it. Now. So tenuous. The, the connections are so tenuous. Just just enjoy that country on its own. I think you might have a good time with it. All right. Um, all right. Uh, a, a, a listener named Sem writes into decodingtv@gmail.com. Hey, fellas, really enjoyed your recap of, D- of True Detective in that country. For the most part, we're in alignment. My personal opinion was left indifferent on the show. 
Uh, I was happy to see Jodie Foster back in high-level content via HBO. But True Detective as a series has never really hit, if you get what I'm saying. I'm one of those that thought the ending of season one was pretty lackluster for the build-up leading to it. Nick Pizzolatto. I don't think you needed to spend too much time on him, only because he's never been happy about True Detective. Going back to season one, everything I read about him and his thought on his work on HBO just made me think, this is an unhappy creative. I think a lot of creatives and Hollywood types are just like that. Whatever they're searching for or hoping to execute, they can never find or reach and can always be found at a party in a conversation in a variety interview or on social media complaining about something. As for the show, it's far from the worst thing I've seen on TV and more specifically, far from the worst thing I've seen on HBO. Think about later seasons of Game of Thrones, for example. But I will summarize my frustration and indifference to the series here until someone explains to me why the show opens with caribou jumping off a cliff. That scene and the fact that we don't come back to it is is in a nutshell True Detective Season 4. So, uh, end quote. Uh, you know, uh, it is debatable whether Crew Detective Season 4 ever explains what happened in the opening scene. I will not go into it for spoiler aversion. Uh, but I can understand why a lot of people are frustrated. I'll put it that way. Mm. So, anyway. I don't like, I don't like the phrase... Jody Foster. It's good to see Jody Foster in high level content. <laughs> it's an upsetting string of words. I gotta be honest. Patrick Klepek finds that upsetting uh, as a phrase. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for your reactions to our uh, uh, sort of thoughts on True Detective. Patrick Klepek, I think since you've been involved with the podcast, mm. this is the most commentary we've ever gotten in reaction to our thoughts on a show uh, yeah i would say uh, so. other, than, other than people wanting to go down to the to the ship of the ss secret invasion i think that's you know i mean to the original point on on and why hbo would partner with her again and like look like it dislike it where like it was compelling um and it got people watching and then in an environment where it's difficult to grab eyeballs and like i'm not shocked that HBO would end up, you know, sticking with the creative that, hey, it got people talking and interested and fascinated in the show and where it's going. So I think that's that's to her credit. It was kind of the same thing. It sounds like kind of the same thing we had with the the curse where it was uh, it's like it's more interesting to have something to talk about that may have failed in the end in some eyes mm-hmm. versus something that just was like it hit all the beats you wanted to hit, but didn't really didn't really stimulate you in any other way intellectually. So indeed, indeed. All right, a couple of other items and news we want to discuss. I mean, just a quick mention of some release dates that were dropped this last week. We learned that The Boys Season 4 will be debuting on June 13th. Kind of excited about this one. Uh, Jesse, Earl, and I covered uh, Gen V, right? Yep, Gen V. uh, Gen V for Decoding TV. And uh, Patrick Klepek, I think you're a fan of the boys. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I'm up to the boys, and I'm I'm one episode left on on Gen V. We finally picked up the second half oh, nice. of the season. What do you think about um, What do you think about it so far? Inc- incredible! Like yeah. for uh, a uh, this is how you do world building. Um, yeah. Now, granted, yeah. after the success of Gen V, it's as soon as you saw let's 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 do more. Sp- let's build. As no, I really liked how you built this one brick. I don't know if you build five <laughs> more bricks that mm-hmm. they're all going to be this good, but. Uh, I have found the boys start to finish to be really actually a show. I think that has gotten stronger as mm-hmm. it's gone along. Um, and uh, I found Gen V to be really uh, remarkable television, much more diverse cast to care. I mean, just yeah, top to bottom. I, I really enjoy that. Enjoy that world. We also got some details about the acolyte, a mysterious star Wars TV series that has been in development for quite some time. This is supposed to be debut a long time ago. 
Uh, it just got a release date of June 5th, 2024. I don't think that's an official release date yet, but that is what a lot of people are saying. So uh, Leslie Headland is going to be in charge of that. She co-created Russian Doll, which I really loved, um, and also wrote uh, Sleeping with Other People, uh, the movie starring uh, Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie. Anyway, uh, The Accolade, that's a really just kind of curious what that's going to be I, we we know almost nothing and it's only a few months away so well we know uh, we do know it's setting right which is yeah. that it's set in, a, in an era of star wars that's been depicted in it was a big the comics no- push um the higher novels as well yeah because there was a big like hey we're gonna like flesh out this era from a couple of years back in which there was a bunch of comics and novels that were pushing but it's, it hasn't been depicted uh on yeah, screen the, or the end in a of video the high game. republic the end of the high republic era yeah um but mm. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's been any like uh, trailer yet or anything like that, right? Nothing. Like, I remember yeah. Them, yeah. So um, we'll see. Anyway, uh, those are a couple quick release date pieces of information. Uh, there was a investor call with David Zasloff talking about Warner Media and all the stuff going on there. Uh, things in general, as far, like from a big picture business perspective. Uh, things seem to not be going very well uh, from what i can tell <laughs> like the you know they they put a bunch of chips on max the ones watch for hbo and uh i remember i remember th- they said hey we we got to rename it from hbo max to just max because we have gone as far as we can go with the hbo name guys and uh we got to attract a bunch of new people well those new people never really materialized <laughs> and so they are just kind of like the max uh streaming growth is kind of stalled. It's not in a great place, but have no fear because David Zaslav has a bunch of hot properties that he has announced that are going to be debuting sometime on Max over the course of the next couple of years. One of the big ones is a Game of Thrones spinoff series called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight, which snappy. feels, feels snappy, like... Snappy title. Rolls right snappy off the title. title. Yeah, doesn't feel like a title should have the word knight twice. Uh, just can put that out there. This is based off of the Dunk and Egg uh, book slash characters. And I'm actually really excited about this because uh, House of the Dragon, I had some issues with it, but overall, really, really great show. And uh, Dunk and Egg, theoretically, is going to be more standalone. Takes place, like I think, around 100 years before the events of Game of Thrones. And so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they might be able to come up with with a lower stakes, more standalone style series set in the Game of Thrones universe. Could be exciting. Jesse Earl, any thoughts on this? Uh, no, other than I, I kind of hope it ends up being what the first season of The Witcher was, which The Witcher has a lot of problems, but I did enjoy that sort of like Monster of the Week style format. Uh, and then when it became much more serialized over the last two seasons, I've, I've lost any and all interest. So I, I actually hope that like The Hedge Knight kind of falls into that same exact mold of like, let's just do one-off little stories within the game of Thrones world. Um, my only real hesitancy on it is just, it's still a, a prequel and I'm just kind of burnt on prequels and large franchises. Generally. Um, I just kind of want to like move it forward. Like as much as people derided it, uh, I actually had some level of interest in like a Jon Snow spinoff series in the sense mm-hmm. that it would, like it would have to be something new. It would have to be set like outside of the like main narrative of the show. It would have to be pushing forward. Um, so I was curious what that was going to be, though. It doesn't seem like it's going to materialize. So, so yeah, I, I, I think there's potential here, but I'm still a little burnt on prequel franchise storytelling. So 
depending on how this plays out, they, they could shift to an every other year mm. Game of Thrones schedule for each show. Kind of like a Call of Duty in the video game universe, where like <laughs> every other year, like one studio makes a Call of Duty game, you know, and then on the off years, the other studio takes care. So you could have like House of the Dragon every two years, Dunkin' Egg every two years, depending on how the show goes. Patrick Klepik, you looking forward to this? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the quality bar and so far uh, on Game of Thrones uh, post, the, the original sh- uh, show is, is pretty high. I mean, the fact that they managed to burn tens of millions of dollars on an unaired pilot, um, I think, goes to show their, the stuff they're going to greenlit, uh, greenlight, they have some confidence in. Um, the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is House of the Dragon was a show that went through HBO's quality control process prior to, to, to the existence of the Mr. Tax Break, Mr. Tax Write-Off. And so I'd like to hope that The Hedge Knight is coming from a place that it's, hey, this is following the same steps that we take. We're very careful with Game of Thrones. We would only put a series to green light if we absolutely felt like this was going to be a hit. But Warner Brothers, as you said, is in a precarious place financially. They're doing everything they can to get their financial house in order, mostly so they can get sold again. And that does not necessarily instill me with a confidence in the broader infrastructure of Warner Brothers and HBO to to pull that off. So I, I hope I'm wrong there and that HBO can continue to remain sort of creatively insular from some of those pressures. But I don't know that you can look at the green lighting of this series separate from uh, – like the the broader Warner Brothers project, uh, or I guess financial project, uh, so as it is. Patrick Klepek, I just want to say, how dare you imply that we will not get the highest of quality control? <laughs> uh, now that Warner Brothers is run by the man who brought us shows like Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, uh, <laughs> Go- Ghost Brothers, and Vampires in America. You know, like, I, I, don't, I just don't get, sometimes I feel like I don't understand you at all. Is kind of where I know, I'm landing well, on this. Yeah, I, I, I know this. You, you mentioned this when we, you first interviewed me for the podcast. This yeah. was brought up as a character yeah. flaw. I've been working on it. I've been trying to watch yeah. these shows, but it's just not working, David. It's just like, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. how many pimples do I have to watch pop before I just tell you I don't want to watch a pop? I don't care if they're in 4K. Speaking of David Zaslav, he also announced that, uh, you know, he we, they previously announced, hey, we're making a new Harry Potter series. Right, they had previously announced this. That series has now been given a date, uh, or a year, I should say. Twenty twenty six is when they are going to debut this new Harry Potter series. Um, now, a couple things we got to say about this. First of all, <laughs> David Zaslav keeps saying something along the lines of the following. This is an exact quote from him this last week. Quote. We've not been shy about our excitement about Harry, around Harry Potter. The last film was made more than a dozen years ago. End quote. I know he's talking about movies that say Harry Potter in the title, but I, I just don't understand why he feels the need to completely ignore Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which debuted in April of 2022. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, I feel like fact, there's a reason. He's definitely a reason he wants to ignore that movie. <laughs> and in fact, in fact, any um, Fantastic Beasts movie, he does not seem to want to mention. Um, but yes, uh, theoretically, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, is this series is supposed to basically cover the same time frame as what was covered in the books. Is that yeah, correct? Presumably it's supposed to. I think they said they were going to recast the the original trio and, and retell the story of the books just over a longer time frame, um, which like I get the the to a degree. 
where it's like, okay, the movies did compress a lot. So there is more yeah. story you could have told there, but uh, may, may I, may I do a little rant? I don't want to, I don't want, if you had yeah, more to no, say, I'll I, save I, my rant. I, I want to hear the rant. The, the one it, let's, I definitely want to get to the rant. Uh, just a couple quick things before we get to it though, Yeah, yeah. which is, I think that this is a terrible idea. <laughs> there, yes. seems, there seems to be like no creative vision around this. It's just, we got to get the IP. It's not like, um, you know, Alfonso Cuaron or someone came in and said, I have a vision mm-hmm. for how we can do this as a TV show. It's just like David Zaslav is thinking, we got to get some, we got to get the IP uh, re- refinery pumping. You know, we got to mm-hmm. get this, all this stuff moving. And that's not a recipe for a, a, a great show. The other thing that comes to mind, of course, is also Amazon uh, buying the rights for Lord of the Rings. Mm. Even they knew you do not mess with the thing that people already love and hold to be dear. They did not try to remake the original Peter Jackson films. They set their movie hundreds of years before those films. Uh, And so this idea that this show is kind of going to be gunning for essentially the, the original films in the hearts of uh, fans, I think will create some consternation because it is very possibly going to be compared unfavorably to those films. Patrick Klepek, mm-hmm. any thoughts before we hear Jesse's uh, <laughs> overall reaction to this? Uh, I worry this is going to be exceedingly popular. Uh, Harry <laughs> Potter um, is entering like deep in millennial nostalgia territory. Um, they, they are people that are my age. Like, you know, I turn 40 next year. Like it was a defining piece of literature and then cinematic films for people in their twenties, thirties, like teens, like it spans a long period of time. And I, in the same way that true detective night country might've garnered a lot of attention, whether it was good or bad. I think it is a safe bet to say Harry Potter, a television series adapting those original books by 2026. How long has it been between the, the first film 15 years? Ah, Yeah. 20 Uh, years. Let's see. The first Harry Potter film was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, November of two thousand one. That's that. oh, that's a long, that's a long <laughs> mm-hmm. time ago. Um, and and so, uh, yeah, I you know if you look at uh, Hogwarts Legacy, which was the exceedingly popular uh, video game that came out uh, at the beginning of last year, uh, that succeeded essentially as being an interactive version of playing the original era. I know it's set before the like Harry Potter, but you're exploring a lot of the same uh, thematic ideas, same uh, geography, same feelings as those seven books, those eight movies. Um, and so I expect that is a, a primary motivating factor is nostalgic millennials would love to revisit Harry Potter and would love to be mad about the casting decisions in Harry <laughs> Potter as they watch it. So I don't, I don't defend it on the creative merits, but I understand from the business perspective, especially for that, the kinds of people that would sit and want to watch that, uh, the appeal. And plus it's, it's, it's far enough away from, from 2001. Do young kids want to watch a movie from 2001? I don't know, but they, you know, they might be more inclined to watch a modern television show. They, certainly uh, a 2026 show on max. The one to watch for HBO. They, they're going to get all the love. kids. That's where all the kids go is what I understand. Max, the one to watch for HBO on the playground, uh, constantly trading, trading stories about Max. <laughs> Jesse, those are just a couple of creative slash business thoughts about the new Harry Potter show that's going to mm-hmm. debut on Max. But 
you actually have a very uh, personal history with some of the people behind the show, do you not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, before I get to that, I'll, I'll just add my two cents quickly into what you two said as well. It's just, it's frustrating because I would, like, if if the stuff with J.K. Rowling aside that I'll get into in a moment did not exist, it's just like, there is so much you could do with this world, like, mm-hmm. beyond just regurgitating the stories we've already seen. Like, like, even the Hogwarts Legacy game, I have issues with that story, but, like, at least there was some level of, like, this is somewhere different doing something different telling a different story and i feel like that would have just been way more interesting I mean, interesting to me but you're right patrick it is just trying to to get the nostalgia both positive and negative because even the people who will hate watch are still watching so uh that is very clearly the impulse there um but yeah just a quick give a rant i, I could go on for very long about it and i don't want to override it but obviously you know as a trans person uh jk rowling's uh involvement in this project is and just Harry Potter just in general is is always going to be just the thing that overshadows all of it for me. Um, Zaslav has continually, as they were like talking about the show, uh, championed J.K. Rowling's involvement in the show, which is also weird to me even beyond the t- transgender bigotry stuff because it's just like, how did you not? clearly he didn't the fantastic beast movies where she was the main writer for those movies <laughs> and they were a mess of storytelling um so well, the, thing just, that, the, the thing that's also bizarre too is theoretically because they are covering the original books mm. warners has more creative control over those than say fantastic beast or other yeah. prequel material that jk rowling has exerted more control over the uh, the material from the original books uh is like warner brothers has a lot of leeway with that yeah 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 yeah. uh, but despite that uh there's a story in wall street journal that we'll link to the show notes about how zaslav is trying to uncancel jk rowling and uh he has continually sought her approval and her guidance and wants her to be a critical part of this new television series with all the good and bad that that is going to entail yeah. And and kind of going to that uncanceling thing, like I always hate the word canceling because it kind of implies this narrative that she had and anyone who was canceled has ever lost any real standing when most of the time it's just them claiming that to be able to frame like, oh, I'm being attacked so they can then position themselves as like needing to be defended and propped up further. Um but uh, but yeah, I mean, just to just a quick mention it, like J.K. Rowling has continually for years now been uh, promoting anti-trans bigotry that has led uh, both directly and indirectly to not only governmental um, uh, policies, both in the United States and U.K. that have directly cited her uh, that are attacking the trans community, such with anti-trans health care bills and things like that. But also her rhetoric has directly uh, stoked bigots. Uh, that have uh, called for uh, direct harm against the trans community. I mean, she's directly promoted folks like um, Posey Parker, who uh, has done rallies against trans people and called for the death of trans people and actually led to neo-Nazis marching in New Zealand, where she held a uh, a rally. Um, so like she is, she is prom- promoting people that are, are actively attacking the trans community. And we've seen an increase in violence, both again, systemic and individual against trans people um, leading to like the death of a teenager um recently in uh i believe oklahoma um so yeah so so that aspect of it is just to continually prop up uh both jk rowling specifically but also harry potter as a brand is 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 difficult and while i do understand to a degree people's complicated feelings about harry potter i have my own feelings about harry potter given that it's controlled by jk rowling and given that jk rowling directly benefits from it and she is one of the primary funders of money and also of rhetoric uh, towards a lot of these anti-trans causes, it is it is deeply frustrating to continually see people like Zaslav 
not that I love Zaz love him beyond this, but uh, see him. He has prop been a paragon, up, so. uh, paragon of virtue prior to this. So. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> so uh, to listeners, just to wrap out this, if you do want to, because some of the stuff I'm saying may be surprising to some people about Shaky Rowling who may not paid attention to her bigotry, um, even though it's a lot of what her Twitter presence is nowadays. Um, I did an article for GameSpot actually uh, a year or so ago around Hogwarts Legacy that uh the, the video game that goes into a lot of my conflicting feelings and also a lot of this history with JK Rowling around that that would I think equally apply to this Harry Potter show for Warner Brothers just replace Hogwarts Legacy with Warner Brothers Harry Potter and the article I think very much applies so I will uh I will just promote that article and say go check that out uh because it'll it'll give deeper and more specific thoughts around everything so yeah and we will link to that in the show notes thanks for sharing that Jesse yeah, yeah of course uh anyway Those are a few pieces of television news that are happening in the world right now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. All right. Uh, Why don't we get to the recap and review portion of the podcast? And I want to start, as always, by saying that, uh, like, telling people what we're covering this week and we'll be covering next week. So this week we'll be talking about uh, Constellation episodes one through three uh, and Shogun episodes one and two. And uh, of those two shows, Shogun is the one that we will continue to cover. (laughs) But uh, we will also have some coverage of Constellation uh, finale in some form or another. Uh, Might be a bonus episode. We might integrate it into the main episode that week, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we will have some form of coverage of the Constellation finale, just not something we're going to cover week to week here on Decoding TV. So uh, that is the homework for next week is Shogun episode three. And uh, I do want to mention that we will probably be releasing episodes of Decoding TV a little bit later than usual because Shogun comes out on a Tuesday. Most of the time, Patrick Lepic, we cover shows that come out on su- Fridays or Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a weird one, having a, a midweek debut of uh shogun but uh for reasons we will get into very shortly uh i think it'll be worth it so let's get into our coverage of constellation on apple tv plus i'm very happy to be back home but things are different i have a piano in my house and i don't play the piano Do you have hallucinations? Mama? Yeah. 
All right, let's talk about Constellation on Apple TV+. Plus. The first three episodes debuted last week. I think the fourth episode it may already be available as we're recording this. But we are going to start in one sentence or less. Patrick Klepek, should people watch Constellation on Apple TV+. Plus? I don't know. <laughs> because I don't know how it wraps up. And I, mm-hmm. I think that may be my short version of th- th- if I'm very curious to see how it wraps up, but in three episodes in, it's a big mystery box and it's mm-hmm. going to live or die by how those things do or don't wrap up. So for now, I'm sort of maybe. <laughs> Jesse Earl, should people watch Constellation on Apple TV Plus? I would say I agree completely with Patrick on that, uh, with the asterisk of uh, this show is m- my shit. I like, <laughs> like everything about the show, like weird, spe- like weird quantum mechanics, check, like cool, like space uh, sciencey stuff, check uh weird horror visuals and possibly parallel worldsy stuff like check like it is is very much what i love about it so i enjoyed this show very heavily and if that's your jam i would recommend it uh but if it is it is not necessarily your jam then i would agree with patrick like wait until the show is over hear what people say uh and then maybe check it out if, if people feel it wrapped up well yeah patrick i think you summed it up really well uh this is a show that has one two possibly three central mysteries to it i have a feeling they're somewhat connected uh and (laughs) by the end we'll figure it out but in the meantime they're just showing you a lot of spooky things that are happening (laughs) spooky things and uh and the spooky things are done pretty well but but essentially uh it will all hinge on whether this mystery is satisfying and whether it's done well uh by the end of the show and right now we cannot tell you whether that's the case but let's talk about what we actually do know about what happens in these few episodes. Uh, I'll just read the the recaps on the Apple TV Plus app. In episode one, The Wounded Angel, a disaster on board the ISS becomes a fight for survival. Uh, in episode two, Live and Let Die, Joe races to find a way back to Earth before her life support runs out. Meanwhile, Henry, played by Jonathan Banks, is concerned about his experiment. And in episode three, Somewhere in Space Hangs My Heart, the space agencies begin their investigation into the ISS collision while Joe struggles to reconnect with Magnus and Alice, her hu- uh, her estranged husband and daughter. Uh, I should mention, of course, Joe is played by the great Numi Rapace. I want to say MVP of the show. I mean, mm-hmm. she is committed to this role. Uh, she is giving it her all, regardless of how ridiculous some of the stuff that she has to do is. Uh, what did you think of Numi Rapace's performance in Constellation, Patrick Klepek? She's great. I mean, this is the kind of actor that you can just put a close up on their face and there's so much to read off of it. And the show hinges a lot on you reacting to her reacting to something slightly off and not not necessarily (laughs) having an answer to it. That is so it requires a certain a certain actor to be especially as you're, you know, depending on where you fall on the spectrum uh, as Jesse was saying, like in terms of your interest level in these core ideas, these core themes, these core like, ooh, what's going on here? <laughs> like depending on where you fall on that, then you have to start falling back on other things to maintain your interest in the show as you wait for more domino pieces to fall. And you can do far worse than than her. Like she is just a very compelling actor that is very good at looking slightly confused and horrified 
Indeed. Uh, I, I want to describe for you, you both my experience of watching the show. Now, the reviews came out before we actually are recording this. And so I would say a significant percentage of the reviews were negative on the show. Um, one of our favorites, Alan Sepinwall, I gave it a pretty negative review. And I think most of the reviews summed up to this is the concept of a movie that was stretched out to be like an eight episode long series and it should not have been stretched out. That was kind of uh, what a lot of the reviews said. And so I started watching and longtime listeners of Decoding TV will know I hate that shit. And so I started watching <laughs> I started watching thinking, oh, um, I'm going to keep watching until I like start disliking this. And I and I mean, I'm going to finish the first three episodes because that's what we agreed on. But but uh, I'll probably stop after that because I assume I'm going to lose interest by episode three. So I watched episode one and I thought, actually, that episode rocks. That was an awesome mm-hmm. episode. Then I watched episode two and three and I was thinking I was waiting for me to start hating this. I was waiting for me to be like getting frustrated and it never came. <laughs> that that moment never came. I kind of was still into it by the end of the episode third third episode and um not only that there's some great stuff in the third episode. You know, as I mentioned, uh this investigation over what happens at ISS like uh goes on in the third episode and there's all this um bureaucracy of like what happens when you have three different countries trying to agree on the same version of events. And I just, I found that to be fascinating. So by episode three, I'm still really into the show. Now, maybe it goes way downhill after episode three, but so far I'm still pretty engaged to my surprise. Let me ask you about episode one. I mean, I thought episode one was great. It felt like gravity, you know, Alfonso Cuaron's gravity style, uh, thriller where something goes wrong in space and they need to deal with it and i just thought it was really well done uh jesse earl what were your thoughts on the opening episode i agree i think what what makes this show work very well because we we've been joking about like all the spooky aspects and and uh and all of that stuff just just keep using that phrase um and i have thoughts about like gotta say it that way too you can't just just say spooky spooky stuff uh (laughs) the characters say it in the show too it's very weird no Um, but uh we've we've been joking about all of that and i find that stuff super fascinating it gets into like quantum mechanics stuff that i'll i'll talk about later if we want to because i that's again very much my jam and i love that stuff but what i think uh i think makes this show work so well is that it grounds that in like actual hard sci-fi like this working any workings of the iss seeing the daily lives of that seeing of them having to deal with like when something goes wrong uh like them having to deal with the, their life support going out having to go and check out all the systems like just the mundanity of of something like that going on and dealing with the bureaucracy of it uh grounding it in that I think is what makes what makes it still stay intriguing moment to moment so that when the weird stuff happens, you're not just like, oh, there's just a bunch of weird things happening. I can't mm-hmm. I can't connect mm-hmm. to it. You're you're still grounded in the world that then makes the weird stuff feel properly weird. Um, and so I, I think that that's what really makes it work. And, and going off of the first episode specifically, like just just seeing uh, them have to deal with this, like just random catastrophe and them having to run around and just like dealing with stuff like having to uh, try and uh, help a guy as, as he's dying uh, with his blood spraying everywhere in zero gravity. Like it, that's how it's, it's the show isn't overly gory, but it does have a little bit of it. Um, it just seeing that sort of stuff was was very thrilling to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also this weird situation where Numi Rapaz's character Joe sees what she thinks impacted their ship, uh, mm-hmm. a Russian, a dead Russian cosmonaut. That's what she believes impacted her ship. 
uh, and no one else sees it, right? And every Russian cosmonaut in the history of mankind has been accounted for. So what did she see? She was just seeing something. I, I did really enjoy when they're presenting what bags of trash look like in human form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They almost look like AI generated because it's like so close to what a human would look like. But it's like, imagine if we shaped a bag of trash like a human. <laughs> is it possible this is what you saw? Anyway, uh, Patrick Klepek, did you enjoy the first episode? I did. Um, and the first episode has the least amount of the part that's bugging me throughout mm-hmm. the other episodes, which is the, the show constantly feeling like it's getting a little ahead of itself to go, hey, Shit doesn't seem right, does it? Huh? <laughs> like, seems a little weird, huh? Like, <laughs> stuff's going on. And it's like, I feel like the show is like raising its eyebrows at me, like, don't think things are as they seem, do they, buddy? It's like, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> show, like, I, I, I get it. I, um, and I think, I think maybe some, some of that has to do with having to, to dole out you know, chop this up over the course of, of more episodes. We'll see as the show goes on how it manages that. But part of the reason the first episode works as well as it does is because it's like very concerned with the brass tacks of what, what do you do in the middle of a disaster? It's what makes gravity work. It's what make like this, this episode at its best work, which is you get to watch smart. It's fun to watch smart people do smart things in the face of great adversity or panic. And you get to see, a bunch of smart people, including the rest of the crew, right? It's not just Joe. It's this entire crew of people dealing with something truly extraordinary before we have any sense of what are the potentially extraordinary events or supernatural, however the show ends up characterizing it, uh, events that led to them having to deal with, well, his hand is his hand is cut, you know, connected to the spaceship now as, as everything <laughs> falls apart. And I think that part of it is really really compelling and it's the, the the balance between those things that i feel like is a little off in two and three but like works really really well in that first episode agreed and the story continues into the second episode where she basically needs to find her way home uh, against all odds and she does i will say i was a little bummed that the episode one begins with what is essentially a flash forward yeah um so we know that she survives and it's like yes numi rapaz is on the poster uh, so we probably know that she's going to survive anyway, but it was still kind of like, I don't, I don't think we needed to see all that stuff in the first episode, you know, like the flash forward stuff, like they could have held that back. Jesse Earl, you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I have, I have many, many thoughts. <laughs> uh, I, oh, how do I say this? Cause a question I would have is, but did she survive? <laughs> cause, mm, yes. Okay. There uh, you go. <laughs> Cause that is, that is the it's a fair point. The, it's a fair yeah, point. Yeah, a question yeah, yeah. that the show raises. Cause, uh, and this is, this is actually something too. just jumping into this. The other aspect of it that I do like, um, is that the weird stuff kind of is, is buttressing her, uh, her own emotional arc too. So we have the stuff with the weird, like, Oh, we, she saw a Russian body that no one else saw. But then that leads into questions of like, do people believe her? Is she trusted? Does she trust her own memory? She's gone through a traumatic event. So like the weird elements of it are are highlighting, you know, potential systemic biases against her as a woman, but also as like, just as, as like, do we trust people's observation of something? Um, and which kind of goes into the idea of the observer effect, which again, it's, I love all these ties because we're talking about quantum mechanics. So there's the observer effect, which is, uh, something doesn't actually, uh, uh, like particles will not resolve their state 
unless they are observed. Otherwise, it's like Schrodinger's box. The cat will exist uh, as both alive and dead until the, the wave function collapses when observed. Uh, so like there, there's all these sort of things that kind of interweaving each other with each other emotionally and thematically in with the quantum mechanics that I, I thought was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, getting into your, like, does she survive? It's one of those sort of, uh, with, I'm trying to, are we allowed to do full spoilers? I don't know exactly what the rules are. Full spoilers for the three episodes. Not yeah, for yeah, any future episodes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any of the future yeah. episodes. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's this question of since we're dealing with quantum mechanics here and Jonathan Banks, character, who's also great in this, uh, is talking about like how, uh, you know, there's there's two, a new state of matter and all of that jazz. It gets into this possibility of alternate worlds yeah. that the show is kind of jumping between uh, so then the question becomes, it seems like she potentially didn't survive in one of the worlds. And that's why she has a different daughter in one. So it's, it's, right. it's, yeah, there's, there's some or fun maybe stuff there's a, there's a universe where she survived and one where she didn't. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and, and that's why people think she's behaving very bizarrely or she, she she's ex- essentially experiencing a different version of reality than other people. Mm-hmm. Are, right. And I would oh. also even, oops, sorry. Yeah, no, no, you go first. You go first. I, was, I would also even say there's stuff like, uh, I think the show may be playing with that as well. Cause we see in episode three, two stories of Jonathan Banks, both uh, him dealing with like the stuff going on on the, uh, the station, but then also him sort of dealing with being called up for his memory changing, uh, like in a, what seems like a, fl- like a slight flashback. But then I also raised the question of like, maybe that's a different universe. Yeah, uh, instead yeah. of an, instead of an alternate or instead of a flashback, so there's just some fun structural stuff there too. I loved all that ISS Truth Finding Commission stuff in episode three. I just thought that was so. It's such an interesting concept of what you would do if you're in that situation. You see mm-hmm. something no one else believes you. They're literally throwing <laughs> 15 different explanations at you for why you didn't see what you saw. And it's like in your benefit to just say, yeah, you're right. It was a, it was a bag of trash shaped suspiciously like a human. And that's what mm-hmm. it was, you know, because uh, they're all just trying to avoid taking financial responsibility for something mm-hmm. impacting the ISS. Right. And so it's like a very fascinating idea. I also got to say uh, MVP of the show. One of the MVPs of the show for me, other than Numi Rapace, is the woman who plays the I want to say Russian boss. Um mm-hmm. Irene Lyshenko, played by Barbara Sukova. Uh, I wasn't really familiar with her work too much before this show, but she is just such a compelling presence and um, someone who I fear, you know, watching the show. Like, <laughs> I, would be, I would be afraid of that person if, if they were on the other end of the, uh, uh, of the testimony table. Let me ask you quickly before we move on to uh, Shogun about the Jonathan Banks stuff. Uh, I was not a huge fan of like... Jonathan Banks in the show so far, it seems really disconnected from, I know it's probably related, Jesse, but <laughs> it's like plot wise, it seems really disconnected from the rest of the, sh- the plot. Uh, you know, his, his part of the plot so far, um, yeah. the, uh, the dialogue just feels really pretty clunky to me. Hmm. Just not loving the Jonathan Banks of it all. And I, I love Jonathan Banks and better call Saul and, and breaking bad. Patrick Klepek, how's Jonathan Banks as the character, uh, of uh, what's his name Henry working for you in the show constellation? Uh, we, well, every time we get around him, we get to hear a big glowing object go hum, hum, 
uh, it's, it's pretty weird. Like, and I'm just probably doing some, some fucked up stuff, you know, like, what could it be? Like, Hey show, it's okay. I get it. You don't like to be subtle. That thing is making like that. It does that on the, on the ISS. Like nobody thinks this like chip going like, ga-dong, is like, any, no, we're good with that. It's just a little experiment. Okay, fine. Um, I with like he's fine. It's hard to judge much of anything about his character and the arc, what he's putting into it as an actor, because I think so much is contingent on where it goes. It feels, mm. it feels like later parts of the show pulled in sooner that will click. Like if done right, click into place and maybe are more satisfying with a little more hindsight. Um, but only kind of functions as padding at the moment for a show that I think honestly would have been stronger if it doubled down on the elements that seem to work the best for uh, all three of us, which are like the bureaucracy, like the operating of the shuttle, like like all that stuff is, is strong. And at times I feel like the show is not confident in its ability to have that carry it. And is like, got, Hey, got to put this mystery. Like it's almost like the buzzing of that chip or whatever it is, is the show lacking a confidence to just sit with that stuff for like if you're going to be a slow show be a slow show i think it'd be a better show if it was sitting with that stuff and doling out its mystery box stuff even the like as you mentioned david the framing of the first episode in this cabin it feels like it's just trying too hard to to start up front with like it's stuff's weird stuff's off let's go find out what happened like why would they feel the need to do that unless uh, you know, it, it feels it basically it feels like the show doesn't actually need to do that. It could have just started yes. on ISS. Don't do the mystery. St- like we can get to the, the. I have a feeling there's going to be plenty more mystery, spooky stuff later on. So like you don't need to drop it in the very beginning, of the first episode. The good, anyway. the good, like the the wave that happened. Like what's one of the most effective like spooky scenes? It's very subtle. It's not a jump scare or anything like that. Is kind of like the hand wave or like the person she sees that like releases the latch as she's mm-hmm. trying to come back to Earth. And I. I couldn't help but keep imagining a show that allowed that stuff to land as more mm-hmm. shocking and spooky. If the show <laughs> wasn't so upfront about, hey, this is a this is a show where some weird stuff's going to happen. Right, because right. Like, I know that I know that going into it, but yeah. I just wish it was a little more subtle because it would allow moments like that to just mm-hmm. land like so much more shockingly and be so much more unsettling. But instead, I feel like all the time the show is just reminding me that like it's it's pulsing in my ear in the same way that Chip is. But mm-hmm. I do agree with Jesse, though, like the fundamental when I talk about the show, as we talk about the show, those building blocks sound really compelling. And I'm rooting for the show to put them together in an interesting way. Mm. Jesse Earl, you want to take us home on this one? Uh, any thoughts on Jonathan Banks or any other overall thoughts on Constellation on Apple TV Plus? No, no, I think I agree with Patrick completely. I just, I, I do think that uh, that when it hits, it hits really, really hard. I do agree the framing device of the cabin it feels too feels too symbolic uh, rather than actually yeah. tying me in. It's like it's like ooh, here's here's a symbolic way to represent all the stuff that we're talking about here, rather than actually feeling grounded in anything. Um, and I feel like that is is a bridge too far. Um, other than that, like I, I like I said before, this show is very much my jam. Anytime a show has to explain the observer effect uh, <laughs> to, to somebody, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. Chips, to, I, I, I'm all in. Um, so I really love this show, but I, I agree completely. Like, if it isn't exactly your niche, it's one of those like 
just wait wait until episode eight i think it's an eight episode show um wait until episode eight comes out look at the like spoiler free reviews that say yeah it hits it hits the mark or it doesn't um and i think the show would probably work better in a binge rather than sort of a week to week sort of thing absolutely completely agree there i have one final thought on this folks um you know, in the final episode, uh, third episode, we get, I think we get a flashback to Jonathan Banks's character doing what appears to be a panel with a conspiracy theorist, um, <laughs> uh-huh. and then he gets very irritated at this guy. <laughs> he goes over to he goes over to his dinner table in full view of his friends uh, and says, "Hey, let's take a walk." And then he becomes the last person <laughs> to see this guy alive. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I've read an article, you ever read an article or, you know, watch a video or whatever that changes the course of your life. I I, I read one (laughs) such article, uh, and it was about what happens when people fall off of cruise ships Mm. and, uh, and essentially like if you fall off a cruise ship, it's very difficult for you to survive. Um, because you only have like a few minutes essentially before you know you get hypothermia or whatever from the water um and uh the ship usually doesn't the ship has thousands of people on it so it's usually not going to turn itself around disrupt the schedule of thousands of people for a chance maybe a tiny chance they might find you um so I, after I read that article, I decided I'm never going on a cruise. You know, <laughs> wow, you it's, just ruined cruises for me. It, it, they're basically like mobile cities. You know, they they don't have their own, they, they don't adhere to United States law. You know, they're basically mobile cities with their own legal system, uh, where there is tons of alcohol everywhere, and it's just like you know, people every year, certain number of people fall off cruise ships and are never found, or they're never, um, you know, they don't survive. And so, um, yeah, not not going on cruise ships. And so that's that's how I felt watching Jonathan Banks throw that guy off the edge. I'm like, that guy, uh, it's going to be hours until his friends realize something is off, and then by then, he's gone. You know, like it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, nothing they can do. Anyway, you're welcome, uh, everyone. You're yeah, welcome. thanks. So, thanks for that. I have friends yeah. on a cruise ship right now. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, all right anyway so that's the moral of constellation don't go on cruise ships okay (laughs) yeah i think that i think that adds up i think that Mm -hmm. i agree rather go to the iss at this point (laughs) (laughs) let's get to our conversation about shogun do not be fooled by our politeness our bows our maze of rituals death is in our air and sea and earth. Just remember. We live and we die. We control nothing beyond that. All right. This is our conversation at Decoding TV about Shogun, the new series that's just premiered on FX and Hulu. It's based off of the novel by James Clavell, which has already been made into a 1980s miniseries. Shogun takes place in 1600 when the Portuguese are profiting off trade in Japan, but their sworn enemies, the Protestant English, are also trying to find the country and unlock its potential. 
Now, I just want to uh, check in with you all. Have any of you either read the Shogun books or watched the 1980 miniseries? No. Nope. Um, all right, so none, none of us have had any exposure to the story before. Uh, you know, you know, in, in its in its heyday, decoding TV was about, uh, or and, and still is, and still is about like reading the source material and kind of being able to compare the source material with the show. Uh, and uh, then I looked at how long James Clavell Shogun is, which is I think approximately fourteen hundred pages. Ooh. And I said I'm not going to be able to catch up on this book in time. <laughs> so, but I thought about it. And that is ultimately what our listeners deserve. They're not going to get it, unfortunately. All that said, uh, Patrick Klepek and One Senator Less, should people watch Shogun? Oh, hell yes. I love this show as much as a character in this show loves studying the moment a person dies and seeing if they can figure anything <laughs> else about it. <laughs> Jesse Earl, should people watch Shogun? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. The show is, I was astounded. I, I was just finishing the first episode. We had two episodes to watch, and I was astounded by how much I was really just like, there, there's so much density to the show, and yet I feel like I understand uh, all the characters, their motivations, and I'm fascinated to see where it goes. So yes, very much so. This show is freaking amazing. I mean, it is some of the most excited I've been about a television show since Game of Thrones, right? I mean, it has that level of expertise and, uh, you know, seemingly expertise behind uh, the world building. It is one of the most beautiful shows on television. It has one of the most rich cast of characters on television that I've seen. Uh, it's just a really amazing show. Um, one of my favorite things about this is Sage Hyden. Uh, video essayist wrote on Twitter in the first creative meeting for Shogun, someone wrote on a whiteboard, what if a TV show had good lighting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a really good point. I mean, good. that's you, you jest and yet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, how many times have we seen a TV show? That's like, this cost $180 million. And then it looks like, you know, 99% of it was shot on the volume. I mean, this show looks incredible. Anyway, Highly recommend watching Shogun. Who knows? They could still bungle it by the end, but like so far, I am so riveted, so thrilled. Would strongly recommend uh, you check this out. And we will be following this week by week on Decoding TV. All right, let's talk about some of the stuff that actually happens on the show. We're going to spoil the first two episodes Anjin and Servants of Two Masters. We haven't seen any more episodes beyond this, even though we tried. Um, but, but uh, well, we have not seen any more episodes. All right, the show revolves around several interconnected plot lines. Uh, the main plot is about how one of the leaders of the country with the title of Tycho has perished before leaving an heir uh, that is old enough to rule. As a result, the country is left to be run by five regents: Sugiyama, who is defended uh, descended from a rich family. Ono and Kiyama, who are both Christian, uh, presumably con converted by the Portuguese. Ishido, who is the caretaker of the castle. And uh, one of our main characters, Toranaga, played by Hiroyuki Sonata, who is defended, descended from the great Minowaras, the ultimate shoguns. Toranaga is an honorable man, but the other regents long for his downfall. But Toranaga has a few cards he can play. For one thing, he has an excellent relationship with the Taiko's heir. He also has say over where the heir's mom's whereabouts are. And he's ordered to release her from Ido, at which point the regents will presumably vote to kill Toranaga. Um, so that's like one of the main plots. We'll talk about everything else that happens. But, uh, you know, this is 
Hiroyuki Sonata coming in, doing a main role, speaking primarily Japanese. I don't think the character even knows any English. Mm. Uh, I, I am, by the way, just impressed by how much Japanese is on the show. Like, they seem to be really... The only cheating I think the show does is when characters say they speak Portuguese, they're actually speaking English, right? That's mm-hmm. oh, I think, that's I think it's a fascinating... Like, that's a yeah. fascinating yeah. way to have some level of non-subtitling conversation to right. use that as yeah. like you call it a cheat but i i think cheating complimentary i, I think well, like right, it's right, a well, really mm. smart way of like of 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 pulling yeah, that yeah. off it's interesting they don't but they don't even explain it like i remember i watched uh, the first episode of warrior recently you guys seen mm-hmm. that show Mm-mm. uh and in the very first episode of warrior everyone speaks uh cantonese and you see this guy speaking Cantonese to another guy speaking Cantonese and the camera kind of twirls around them. And then when it gets to the other side, he's speaking English and it's like, Oh, oh okay. Okay. So even though they're still speaking Cantonese in world, like we're hearing it as English. Uh, and I was wondering if the show would do anything like that. Instead, they just, they don't explain anything. They're just like the Japanese characters speak Japanese and the white people speak in, uh, like English, <laughs> even though it's actually Portuguese. Uh, but anyway, Toronaga, uh, total badass i've loved hiroyuki sonata in movies like sunshine and uh just a really talented actor uh patrick klepek let's start with you do you find toronaga's plight his predicament to be something that's compelling in the show and if so why well i think you know it's a great compliment to the show as 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 jesse pointed out that you immediately empathize with and get on like you explained the initial premise of the show and the, the amount of like religious and regional and cultural factions and tensions at work are, I find, I find it more confusing to think about them than it is to just watch the show. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the show does an incredible job of just like, there's an opening crawl and it's like, you're kind of like, what <laughs> do I need to go to a Wikipedia page? Is this part of what this, is this show going to be homework is your homework attached to it? And there's not. I'm sure you can get more context and you can make it more interesting for yourself. But it's such a testament to the to the acting that like from the jump, you are in it with these characters. And that starts with, you know, the main actor we're, we're introduced to here. And um, it just sets such a fast, like this opening gambit of what this one character is up against, against this broader world. The fact that I'm I knowing nothing about the story being told here. I'm like, yeah, I could watch a whole show about this. And then it just like, there's so much more that it layers on af- after that. And yet it doesn't feel like it's juggling too much is a real testament to probably some combination of what it's, how it's adapting, but also just the core, you know, storytelling bones of, of the novel. But yeah, I was, I was on board from, from, from the go. I just think it's amazing that Hiroyuki Sonata is such an amazing actor. Basically, he always plays honorable people, like in, in mm. all of his movies. So in this show, it's like, oh, that's the good guy. He's the good one. Right? Uh-huh. Like My all the other center. ones are all the other ones are evil, but he is gonna be the good one. Uh, really appreciate that. Any thoughts on this whole? Uh, I, I think Patrick put it really well. Like this show compresses a lot of information and exposition in a way that's very comprehensible to the audience. Mm. Uh, but Jesse Earl, any, any other thoughts on the Toronaga storyline? No, I, 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 I agree. I think like what I enjoy most about it is how it allows us, the audience to figure it out first. Like it gives some level of exposition as we get through it, but what it'll do is it'll often display like a scene without much context. And we sort of get the relationships between the characters. And then later on, 
uh, even an episode later, it will give us more context and explanation to them that we can then latch on to what we had learned previously. Instead of most shows where they'll establish like, here's this guy, here's this guy, here's this guy, then we'll give you the scene. Because um, like, for example, we have the four other regions that he has to go up against. Uh, and we just sort of meet them in, in their first confrontation. And we kind of get a little hint of who they are. And then in episode two, we get someone who does give us an explanation of like, that's this guy. This is what he's about. There's this guy who has leprosy. Like we do get those explanations, but then we can hook it into scenes that we had already seen um, deepening those scenes from earlier, which I think is just really, really wonderful. And just adds, it just makes you get more and more involved in the show as you go instead of feeling like, all right, I kind of got this. It just, it makes you constantly like lean in to be more curious about it, which I think is a really awesome storytelling tool. I think one of the most interesting components about the show, too, is part of the story that it covers is kind of the West's collision with Mm. Japan and, like, you know, Japan entering modernity in some ways. And the opening scene really gets into that where uh, you see this guy who we'll talk about momentarily, uh, John Blackthorne. Uh, who is an English pilot of the ship called the Erasmus, and they're they're looking for Japan, and they show up, and um, it was interesting to see guys dressed in samurai suits, kind of being basically the cops of sixteen uh, hundred Japan. You know, it's like, oh, I'm I'm used to these guys like fighting in battle in movies, but like they're basically like the police officers that show up and kind of assess what's going on like and you know and and that was a kind of interesting context but there's this really spectacular shot where the camera pulls back from this character this japanese character showing his perspective of the ship and you see you know what the ship looks like and cannons and weapons and all these other things that like are just you know seemingly way more common on these ships from uh portugal or from england uh, than the ones in Japan, and you you sense like the this is this is what this show is going to be about is like the collision of these two mm-hmm. worlds. I think it's a really interesting subject, and I think so far the show is doing a really great job of exploring it. Let's talk about the other uh, plot line in the show. Torunaga is beset on all sides by his other regions, but a massive wild card might give him an upper hand. The second big plot revolves around John Blackthorne. An English pilot of a ship called the Erasmus who's desperately trying to reach Japan. Uh, while he reaches his destination, his entire crew is taken hostage by Yabushige, who is a member of Toronaga's clan. Initially marked for death, it increasingly becomes clear that Blackthorne not only has information that can be of use to Toronaga, but his very existence as a Protestant can sow dissension among the regions, several of whom are presumably Catholic Christians. Um, so... Curious what you guys think of uh, Blackthorn as a character. I'm going to say this is a guy who started out, as my wife might put it, not understanding the balance of power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he shows up. He's very, you know, God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white English pilot is what I have to say. <laughs> he shows up really like just being like, I deserve to have all these things. And it's like, dude, you are so fucked right now. Like, you don't even understand how fucked you are. Uh, but ultimately like very thankfully he very quickly learns like that he is completely out of his depth and he needs to have respect for what he sees around him uh patrick klepek any thoughts on john blackthorne as a character so far 
Uh, I'm not sure if respect is the word that I'd use uh, for how he feels about the world around her as much as fear? it's sort of like fear <laughs> earned yeah. earned pragmatism <laughs> uh, as, a, as as a result. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I adored just how un- fucking unlikable they make this guy I, because you get the sense very quickly like oh this is going to be a a, a centerpiece of the show mm-hmm. and like oh he's kind of stuck over here with again like maybe our moral center our good guy character so well how how is he gonna kind of reform himself into sort of a swaggering like good guy bad guy and like, at every turn the show is like nice nah, sucks shit like this is a bad guy <laughs> nobody should really be working with him like all these people thinking they're gonna use him as a tool really feels like this is gonna backfire on them at some point uh and yet his a way to his ability to kind of slither his way through a situation to get to the other side through a combination of kind of uh of luck and his own ability to improvise uh is great. I, he's he's played exceptionally. Is this this yet another Tom Hardy knockoff? Uh, is played exceptionally uh, <laughs> wow. well. Uh, it's not wrong like, though. We're, we're assembling wrong. <laughs> a series of actors who, if I had a couple of drinks, I'd go, "Well, what's Tom Hardy doing in this one? I didn't I didn't know that he was here." Uh, and it's not Co- a, Cosmo Jarvis is the name yes, of the actor. Yes, Cosmo yes. Jarvis. Because um, the other guy who's the one is uh, he was in. Uh, Oh, who's the other one that looks? I'll, I'll look him up. He was in a, a, a the Spaniard guy. No, because no. he was the other lost. Tom Hardy knockoff. The other Tom about? Hardy knockoff. You're, uh, I think you're thinking of Logan Marshall Green. Patrick. I am thinking of Logan Marshall Green. <laughs> um, so Adam, Adam to the list. And but then no, if I you're think... really reaching, like a Jai Courtney might be also sure, considered, sure, you know? yes, yeah. yes. But uh, yeah, I, I hope he stays an unlikable piece of shit because that's what makes him endearing to me. Is I want him to get. <laughs> Every time he gets the crap beaten out of him and he just finds a way <laughs> forward, I'm like, this is great television. Uh, I will say, you know, I, I was not expecting to Google being boiled alive as punishment. Uh, uh, I, 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 oh, I, I, oh, yeah, that was that was well. But yeah, at one point early on the episode, uh, one of his crew members is taken and boiled alive, uh, which apparently was a thing that happened back then. So, you know, the more you know. And it's Don't also like it. done... Very horrifyingly. I'm re- I'm just gonna say I'm gonna I know this is like a really bold stance, but uh I'm glad we stopped doing that as a species. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. Uh Jesse or any thoughts on the Blackthorn character? Uh I mean I echo everything that Patrick said, but also what I really love about him is uh, kind of what you were going to, David, is the show's central theme of the collision of cultures that we see with him. Because um, our very first scene with him, uh, I think even before the opening credits, is him choosing not to die. He's like, well, I'm going to go for it. We're going to s- survive. The ship's going to make it. And he has that kind of like, again, that sort of stubborn uh, persistence that kind of gets him through a lot of stuff. But then we also have this moment where he uh, sees the, the Lieutenant of uh, uh, Toronaga uh, almost, uh, almost uh, commit seppuku and almost kill himself when he's near death in the water, uh, which kind of like shocks him. And he actually humbles himself at that moment. Um, and, and it just goes to show him like recognizing like there is a, there is a distinct difference in culture and, and, and how that, weaves throughout his entire character as he continually calls the Japanese savages throughout mm-hmm. n- numerous times, but then is also presented with the fact that like, no, these people are 
very sophisticated, very smart, much more than you quite often, um, <laughs> but can also be guilty of savagery as well, like the the boiling someone alive aspect as well. So I, I found that to be such an interesting, complex look at uh, like just how cultures judge each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and that's just a thing that runs throughout all of this. Um, so yeah, I, I find his character to be such an interesting foil to pretty much all of the other characters. And then also to the, uh, the translation aspect, we, we talked about the Japanese and port, uh, Japanese and Portuguese slash English in here, but then there's also scenes where he has to learn how to speak to Japanese folks without actually trusting his translators all the time. Uh, so he has to figure out ways to like, do I trust this translator? Are they going to translate correctly for yeah. me? There's that interesting yeah. tension as well. So just so many interesting dynamics constantly at play between not only, uh, not only Japanese culture and uh, English culture, but also between uh, Portuguese and English as well. So. Uh, so far, I'm so riveted by those translation scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first one, there's, a, I think, a, a monk or a priest, basically, who is... Yeah, a Catholic who's priest. Doing, yeah. Catholic priest who's doing the translating. And, uh, and you hear him talking in the background and doing the translating, and then eventually, like, his voice fades away until he, it's just John talking in English and then... Um, what's his name um Toronaga Toronaga. responding in japanese and it's like and then it becomes like and it's like oh wow that's so cool that like Mm -hmm. it made that seamless transition and then the second time where he's talking to Toronaga, it's uh mariko who's doing the translating and you know it's it's specifically pausing to have her do the full translation every time and obviously there's like character dynamics there that they want you to grasp um but I'm just really curious how the show's going to implement the rest of the translation scenes because so far they've been really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, there are kind of so many scenes that I just want to talk. Like I didn't want to do a full recap of like I didn't want to do like a scene by scene recap because that would just take a really long time. But there's so many scenes I want to talk about. Let's start with uh, one of Toronaga's men accidentally stepping out of line uh, during his meeting with the regents. And saying, you know, something like, how dare you insult Toronaga this way? And then Toronaga saying, how dare you imply that they insulted me? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and he says, you're right, sir. Uh, in fact, as a result of my stepping out of line, I will now commit seppuku and also end my family line. And I just got to imagine that's an awkward conversation to have when you get home to the wife, you know? <laughs> um, is, uh, by the way, I'm committing seppuku and, seppuku and also our son, uh, he's got to go as well. Uh, really, you know, I, I was debating this with some some of my friends about how like uh, seppuku doesn't require that you murder your children. I think, but like, I, I think he's like, I brought so much shame to my family line that it would be better if my son were dead than if he were alive. And it's like, I don't think he really needed to throw that in as a bonus. You know what I mean? Like, he could have <laughs> just he could have just taken it on himself anyway. But that's to show you how hardcore this show is. Is right up top baby murdering or <laughs> is it uh honor killing like maybe not murdering but like you know this cute A baby is killed it depends on your perspective david because like if i'm the baby i have a great sense of being murdered in this moment <laughs> to everyone else they might be like oh this is an honor killing this is part of our culture but if i'm the baby having my throat slit strong murder vibes happening at yeah, the moment you, you as the baby might consider it to be 
a murder. Look, it's true. POV it's... murder from the baby's <laughs> perspective. I'm at least sitting to here and just going. At least, at least it didn't end with incest like Game of Thrones' pilot episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it's like mm-hmm. uh, I guess I guess baby murder is better i don't know <laughs> well, we got you know everyone's got their different sex thing though that is yeah. that is true of this show as well that uh, is very true not yeah. going to shy away from that yeah. yeah uh todayashi is the name of a character who kind of steps out of line and he accidentally misspeaks during a meeting and as a result needs to kill himself and his baby really costly mistake uh, there is Hiromatsu, uh, talking about some of the side characters, Hiromatsu, who's like this old dude who's a loyal friend to Torina- uh, Torinaga. There's a scene where he confronts uh, Yabushige about the fact that he's seized the Erasmus and its contents. Uh, amazing scene, mm-hmm. I thought. There's this, this moment where he says to Yabushige, hey, uh, you got to give us all the cannons and all, this, all the weapons and all the stuff that you found. And Yabushige is like, well... All that stuff belongs to me. And then uh, uh, Hiromatsu says, well, I-, I thought you were loyal to the House of Toronaga. And then, like, all of his men slowly like, reach for their swords <laughs> subtly. Like, you could see them all, like, grasp their swords subtly. And uh, it was, like, what an amazing, subtle touch to that scene. I love that. But uh, it seems like, uh, you know, I'm not predicting great things for Hiromatsu. Let me put it that way. I think mm-hmm. uh, his alliance to Tor- Toronaga is going to be costly. And then, of course, there's uh, Mariko, who's married into General Toronaga's family over a decade ago and has now been chosen by Toronaga to be a translator. Patrick Klepek, I think um, the actress who plays Mariko, wasn't she also in the, uh, the Monarch, Monarch Legacy show, of right? Monsters? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating having <laughs> watched those shows back-to-back where in... In Monarch, she's speaking broad, like mostly in English. There, there's yeah. you know obviously there's a strong central component of of Japan in in that show, but she's largely speaking English. And here, complete complete opposite, and um, just fascinating. Anna, Anna Sawai is the name of the actor. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, um, uh, just really fascinating from an actor's like perspective to watch these shows in such close proximity, and yet this actor, you know, uh, performing in such a, a different sort of venue. Yeah. Uh, any kind of side characters or plots that, that stick out to you all uh, as we think about the f- events of the first two episodes? I'll just also mention, I really like Yabushige as, an, mm-hmm. as a character. Like, it's just a really uh, strong swagger that that character has. Um, perhaps best demonstrated when he... Uh, there's a scene where he s- kind of rescues Blackthorn from being executed. By sending a bunch of bandits to uh, kill all of the executioners. And then he then turns around and then murders all the bandits, which I think is just a really badass uh, demonstration of his powers. But there is, uh, I have never seen a that- character more scheduled to die at some point <laughs> than that guy. Like, And it's going to be awesome. Like, it's going to be yeah. a sick death. And this is not a spoiler. I have no idea. What, but like, yeah. just, like, that kind of like arrogant, swaggery character is like, oh, come on. You're not lasting. They're, they're the You're first not to making go. it to the end. They're the <laughs> yeah. first to go. Jesse, are all any thoughts? I was actually going to say too. I I love that character. Not even just for that scene too, but there he's also the character that we were alluding to before, where he's in, like curious about the moment of death. So that was the boiling pot scene. That was him, correct? I mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in so there's that aspect of him that's weirdly morbid. But then also <laughs> he has 
<laughs> he has he has he has just interesting loyalties too because he's technically one of uh, uh Toronaga's lieutenants but he also is friends with one of the other regents that he sort of like the reason he went after the bandits was not for Toronaga but for the other guy yeah so it does yeah. benefit Toronaga as well yeah um so there's just he is he is I think it's Ishido is the other guy that he's I, yeah I forget his I name. think I, I think that's who the the regent that he's with yeah anyway but yeah, yes those sort of lead uh regent in against Toronaga kind of uh to a degree um though he's his loyalties is also kind of in the middle anyways it, it he 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 just is an interesting character to me just because of his his uh playing both sides against the middle uh sort of vibes that i find very very interesting and i'm, I'm i actually kind of get a different vibe but i could actually see him being kind of the the little the little <laughs> he's the in little the throne finger. at the end <laughs> no yeah. more more like the little finger if we're going to compare to game of thrones like mm-hmm. the character mm-hmm. who just kind of plays everybody and and gets further yeah. than he probably well, should but probably well nothing bad happened to little finger <laughs> oh yeah i was saying definitely doesn't make it to the end definitely doesn't make it to the end but i i definitely see him potentially lasting longer than some so mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. For, for me that what comes to mind uh Amelia is less of a specific character or subplot. Although I will say this show two episodes in is already at the point where this happens later in like a season's arc, but like you could take any number of these characters and it's like, we're just doing a one-off episode about them. We're just following Mm -hmm. them around. Like Mm -hmm. I already am so invested in so many of these characters that we could just do the POV episode already with a bunch of them. And I'd be fine, which is I think a real testament to how, how, nuance this world is and how immediately attached you get to, to a bunch mm-hmm. of these characters. Um, but what I, I find myself so compelled by is the show by very nature of the context and, and the cultures that it's playing with is like deeply interested in opinions about religion. Um, it is not just sort of, Oh, it's here is texture. No, people mm-hmm. got opinions about God and like, which God and like, fuck that God, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and cause clearly like the, the institution of religion and how that is weaponized, like is going to be a central component of this show and how that is used as sort of like a, a form of like cultural oppression um, and, and uh, assimilation. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very interested to see how religion and how like, you know, this, this has been pushed upon a lot of these people uh, plays out going forward because I think that is one of those trappings that's playing out over over everybody. But I like the fact that it's not just it's not just oh religion is bad. It's like very specific thoughts on religion and the and the role it plays in people's lives more than just you know a sense of what happens if one dies, but how that is wielded culturally and weaponized. I mm-hmm. think is is going to be very interesting. Right, and uh, a, a few things worth pointing out about that. Right, Blackthorn is protestant mm-hmm. right and the other uh the portuguese are catholic and they all kind of have this disdain for each other people call blackthorn the heretic um i think it's worth highlighting that the regents are ready to vote on toranaka's death they're like hey all right it's guys it's time to vote on toranaka's <laughs> death and then one of them is like uh, we can't. We gotta kill this Blackthorn guy first, and it's like, really? We can't. Can't we do the Tornaga death first? And it's like, nope. It's so important that it overrides anything else on the docket. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think it is that important to them. They feel extremely passionate about it. Meanwhile, Tornaga's like, but wait, don't you both believe Jesus is God? <laughs> like, why? Why are you killing each other again? Which I think is a very reasonable question to ask uh, mm. for an outsider. So, anyway, um, 
on that note, I got to say, I was a huge fan of the final, like one of the final scenes, or both of the, you know, the concluding basically 15 minutes of episode two, where Toronaga gets another audience, or uh, Blackthorn gets another audience with Toronaga, and he's asked to draw a map of the world uh, on yeah. the in the garden. And that's just such a cool idea of like, how did people understand the planet back then? Um, and obviously they have different, levels of understanding of the planet that's why toranaga is kind of asking in some ways for help and information uh and i thought i just thought that was totally fascinating um that like essentially japan is waking up to this like wider world that it is completely unaware of at this mm-hmm. point um and you know i i just as usual, it all starts going downhill when the white people show up. I'm just going to put that out there, you know? <laughs> I have a feeling, I mean, to be fair, things were already not in great shape, uh, according to the show in Japan at this time anyway. Well, but but, but I don't think the white people are going to help. You know, I don't think they have any solutions. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? Like, yeah, maybe you got, maybe all, all y'all were going to fuck it up anyway, but I think we're just going to fuck it up more. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and gotta say, Final scene of the episode, totally badass. Uh, a an assassin is sent in to murder. So one of the regents sends in an assassin to murder John Blackthorne because that's how important killing John Blackthorne is. They're willing to risk <laughs> war uh, among the regents just to kill John Blackthorne. Uh, I think it's identified as Kayo the Maid is the assassin, and. Uh, that scene is fucking awesome. Um, mm. it, it's just this woman storming from set to set, just slitting people's throats in like the most graphic, completely. And it's just like the ma- the servants, right? She's just murdering them left and right. It's gruesome. It's horrifying. Uh, it's incredible. I loved it. Uh, Jesse Earl, any thoughts on, on the scenes I've mentioned or uh, anything else we've discussed? No, I I just will double down and say the show is fantastic and and everyone should watch it. Easily easy contender for my show of the year so, so far. Uh yeah. cuz it's fantastic. Uh Patrick Klepek, any other thoughts on Shogun first two episodes? Uh to your point, uh I think part of the reason that final scene is other than it being exceptionally well shot and staged and it would be thrilling all on its own even if you were to watch it out of the context of the show. One of the things this show invites really positive comparisons to especially the early seasons of game of thrones is that there's just not, there's not a lot of action in these first two episodes in these, in the sense that like, if you were to look at the artwork and you see like these big ass armor and you're like, Oh, oh, we're going to war, baby. Like this is going to be, and I'm sure those scenes are coming, but what this show is getting right early and what game of thrones, the reason it became such a phenomenon, uh, and was able to, it delivered on big spectacular satisfying action scenes but those scenes worked and were so memorable because you cared about those characters and it earned its way to those moments and this show seems to be following or at least the source material how it's adapted you know i can't speak to that but it's following that blueprint and that's a really exciting blueprint because that's a cool if you just to take that youtube clip show it to somebody maybe you're trying to sell them on on shogun as a show and it's like look at this cool scene it's a cool scene, but it's so much more impactful because of the context and what it sits in. And the fact that the show chooses its moments so wisely with when things amped up that they just gain so much more intensity and prominence. Cause that's just not what 
the show is about. Um, and the fact that you care about these characters in this world, first and foremost, is going to make every time it chooses to like, it's going to feel exciting when like something happens because it's going to be a rarity. It's a treat um, or it's a punctuation on, on moments it's been building to, as opposed to like the reason you're watching it in the first place. So that's, that's mm. a really exciting place to be with a show like this. I completely agree. I mean, it's rare to have a show. You, you've listened to the Decoding TV episodes. It's rare that Patrick and I watch the first <laughs> watch the first two episodes of a show, and we're like, we're we are on this train, no matter where it leads. Yes. Uh, or it, it, usually, if we do, it's with much more reluctance. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this time, I am so excited to be watching the show and talking about it each week. I think it's going to be, at the very least, very interesting. And the first few episodes have been very promising. So. Uh, couple of other just random things I want to bring up about the show. But before we do that, why don't we tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet? Jesse Earl, let's start with you. Where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? You can find me at Jesse Gender on YouTube. If you type in Jesse Gender, you'll find me there. I have a bunch of video essays on there. I just did one recently about the um, depiction of colonialism within Avatar The Last Airbender, the live action show on Netflix, and how it fails to really live up to the themes of the animated series. Um, I am also on all the social medias. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and all of that jazz. Uh, and then I am also on Nebula, which is a streaming service that is funding my upcoming science fiction film identities to be releasing later this year. And I am currently in the middle of doing VFX for, so that is my, my current hell, uh, but it's a fun hell to be. And so I'm excited <laughs> for that. So check that out. Patrick Klepek. How about you? I uh, can follow all my talk about video games and sports over at remapradio.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter, Crosspa- Crossplay, about parenting and gaming at crossplay.news. And if you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a paid member at decodingtv.com. Help to support the show. Keep it going. Get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and bonus episodes. And uh, we're on all the social platforms at Decoding TV. Follow us on there. Get some uh, video clips and uh watch enjoy share those we'd really appreciate that all right couple last things to bring up about uh the first couple episodes of shogun i want to say uh love the character of rodriguez thought he was (laughs) a super cool portuguese Mm. sailor like you think you know how that subplot's gonna go where he kind of takes this guy and then blackthorn proves himself on the ship as a worthy pilot and then rodriguez will then say oh well you are clearly worthy of being my friend. Nope, that's not how it <laughs> unfolds in the show. Uh, Blackthorn proves himself, but then Rodriguez basically betrays Blackthorn, is my understanding, right? Like he's he says, "Hey, we're not friends, and I'm turning you over to the authorities." <laughs> so I liked how it kind of subverted that you know trope really right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, just loved Rodriguez as a character. I uh, don't know if you guys have any more about more that. lost act. I hope they're adding a new was, lost was actor for every episode of uh, Shogun. Like I'm rooting for it. Let's go for three for three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who are the others? Just to be clear, um, there's Hiroyuki Sonata, right, and Lost as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and then I forget the act. The one you just mentioned, Rodriguez, uh, is also uh, oh, I see, uh, I see. In, in Lost. There's also a Stargate actor in there as well. My nerdy heart was very happy. He appears. He's the I think one of the Portuguese sailors working with the Catholics in uh, mm-hmm. episode two. He's from he's an actor from Stargate Universe. If anyone remembers that show, Nestor so. Carbonell is the name of the actor. Yes, Guyliner, um, as he was yeah. uh, uh, mm-hmm. referred to in Lost. Um. <laughs> and then. Uh... 
there was this kind of uh, odd scene about Yabushige, who uh, I, I think uh, we learn one of his kinks, right? He's like into watching people have sex. Is that right? Sure. I think he yeah. learns his kink in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think he discovered it until that moment. Like, he's like, I'm into this. You know? like, yeah. Because he yeah. is upset at first, right? Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly goes, well... Maybe this is my horny. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is my this is who I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh but anyway, yeah, Yabushige kind of really getting like uh he's a full fleshed out character, that guy. Yeah. You know? yeah. Between yeah. his fascination with death and his kink of watching people have sex and also <laughs> just straight up murdering dudes left and right and playing both sides. Um definitely one of the coolest characters in the show. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like he'll be a fan favorite. Yeah, I think so as well. Um and also, like, I just want to dive into this thing about the moment of death. He has this fascination with death, and he's like, if I torture this guy enough, maybe I can learn, get some insight into kind of the death process. Is that Was that kind of your interpretation, Jesse? Yeah, that? that was kind of my interpretation of that. Because he, he says something right when the guy dies, he, he says something like, oh, the moment came and nothing happened. So I think he's sort of yeah. looking to feel if there's something at that, that like, where is that moment and what does it feel like and what is it going to be? Which kind of interestingly, I, I'm curious to see, it, the show doesn't directly tie it in any way, but I'm curious to see if it'll tie it into the other religious aspects mm-hmm. uh, of the series yeah. going forward. It, just, it hasn't been presented there yet, but I'm, I'm curious to see if that'll be brought more explicitly forward. Uh, I, um, I, I think what happened with that guy who was getting boiled alive was, I think he knocked himself out by slamming his head against yeah. the oh, side yeah, of the cold. I think he was trying to, yeah. trying to get knocked out or just die right there yeah. instead of having to deal with it. That yeah. was, that was rough. That was rough <laughs> to watch. And it showed his like face melting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that was actually like remarkable restraint in. Right. Like yeah. how, the, like it was so much more horrifying to just have these like a several minutes of scenes play out where you just hear him oh, screaming yeah. like for what I imagine well, it, was hours on it. Yeah. It, it's like, it's like time, not time-lapse, but it shows it's during the day and then cut to it's night and he's still screaming, you know? And yeah, it's a uh, way to die. It's, it's also too that uh, just to give it like an arc of that, why it's so horrific uh, too, beyond just the visuals of it, which is also very restrained too. There's only like a couple instances of that shot, and it's really impactful. Yeah. Um. And but the also too, like he is screaming, "I want to live!" Like he's basically like, "Please don't kill me! I don't want to live!" And then the very next thing you see him is him trying to die because it's so horrific. And that it like that just even those two points are like Ooh, that just proves how horrific it is. Yeah, so. I think. Uh, the, sh- the way the show uses violence is pretty interesting. Um, you do get the sense that life is nasty, brutish, and short. There was one moment that I was quite confused by, but uh, I-, I don't know if you guys... Uh, the guy who comes up reaction. to pray for him, for Blackthorn or whatever, that one moment? Right, right. so they're they're leading Blackthorn through the town, and then I watched the scene like four times, because I was trying <laughs> to understand what happened. This Somebody steps in and says, hey, why is that guy being taken prisoner? Right, mm. and then a separate dude steps in, and kind of does the cross symbol in front of him, and then that dude's head gets cut off. Not the dude that spoke about like why are, why is he being imprisoned, and so it was a little confusing to me. But I think it was just basically like anyone who kind of interferes, yeah, shut with up. what's going on. You know, like you're going to get your head cut off, pretty much. Yeah. But um, I don't know if you you all had a. Because I, I, the the way it was shot and edited was was kind of bizarre. Where this guy steps in, it's like, "Hey, what what are you doing with that guy? What, why are you taking him prisoner?" And then like 
And I think to myself, oh, that guy's going to get his head taken off. But it's actually this other guy that steps in. He gets his head taken off uh, after doing the cross in front of, of John Blackthorne. So anyway. Um, and yeah, those are just a couple of the other moments that I wanted to bring up. Um, and if there's nothing else, I think we can wrap it up there. But Shogun, episodes one and two. Awesome show. Uh, tune in for more conversation about this show on next week's episode of Decoding TV. They are Jesse Earl, Patrick Klepek, and I am David Chen. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.